I'm actually not a board member of CMML. I used to be. I had to resign because um, they got sick of me. No, that's not true. Uh, no, I, I, I was uh, overwhelmed with various responsibilities, but I became the medical advisor for CMML. Uh, and it turns out in a year that you have COVID, that's kind of important. And so we've had lots of conversations together. Um, I just wanted to describe a few things about CMML, which I find uh, just extraordinary. But um, one of the things that's happened lately is that there's been a, 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 a mild uh, uh, redistribution of responsibilities. And so uh, today, Bob Dad, who was the previous chairman of the board and director of uh, CMML, is now just the chairman of the board, if this, as if that was too little of a responsibility, but it's quite weighty. And then uh, they've asked uh, John Peaslin, who is the uh, uh, son of Tom and Sandy Peaslin from El Torian, Mexico. And uh, John I knew several years ago uh, when I was in their hometown and had the privilege to preach the gospel there. Uh, John has just taken the helm uh, in the last several months and so he's uh, learning the ropes and uh, on, uh, you know, how do we say, um, learning as you go. And uh, he's done a fantastic job. And one of the things that, that John has a vision for, which I agree, is that um, he wants to, to sort of uh, uh, bridge some, some, I don't, wouldn't call them barriers, but maybe some, build some bridges to various other ministries. And one of the early things that John had the vision to do was to develop a, a real vision uh, bridge to assembly care ministries. Now, uh, Jesse Gentile is from Florida, and this was kind of his idea. And uh, uh, Jesse Gentile came up with a assembly care ministries several years ago. And today, it's uh, still alive and functioning, but one of the things that it provides is telemedicine support. Uh, without cost to our full-time workers and missionaries of North America. So that includes missionaries with MSC in Canada. And so um, uh, we've had uh, several things where we've worked together, and uh, uh, I um, am the director of that particular program. And so on the CMML table, I uh, made a spot for my little thing, and so uh, that's the information uh, source that's available. And uh, it's uh, healthcare through a couple of physicians and nursing staff that allows us to communicate electronically and um, document uh, legally uh, through a HIPAA compliant record. And we're able to assist, assist in more than just simply um, telling you you need to go to the urgent care or to the emergency department. It is our goal to try to solve many of the problems and keep the costs of our our fellow servants low and allow them to stay on the front lines of service. So this is a real vision that CMML had and, and John, uh, who is a dear friend, um, contacted us and tried to work out those details. And so, so we come together in kind of a united front, but that's not the only matter that CMML has in mind. They like to, to sort of, um, uh, assist, uh, kind of a come alongside ministry when it comes to the uh, commendation process of, of missionaries, when it comes to the, the practical details. And um, one of the things that they have uh, uh, most recently uh, tried to inquire about was just helping, helping their uh, potential missionaries that are commended from the assemblies, the assembly, local assembly would send out, that if they need some type of uh, further training, 
if they need any type of help in getting ready for the mission field. Now, they have MOPS, which is a great week-long program in June. Um, uh, of course, COVID uh, stopped all, all of that, but Lord willing, that'll be back in play. Uh, but also looking to partner with uh, Discipleship and Training, Intern Training Program, which is the old Gene Gibson, Bill McDonald Discipleship Program that was uh, there for several decades and trained over 350 people throughout the world, many of whom are missionaries today. Tom Peaslin, John's father, is one of those missionaries. Uh, there are other training programs which are equally as valuable, such as the Ezekiel Project in, in Detroit, and, of course, Emmaus Bible College, each one with their own niche, their own particular um, audience that would benefit maximally from the training. But uh, those are some things that, that we've talked about. I have great respect for our brothers. Now, the last thing is uh, prayer. Um, it was uh, The prayer handbook is, was mentioned, and I don't know how you do it, but this is how our family does it. Now, my family's now just two, 2.5 children, and that includes the pets. So, so, uh, but, but what we try to do is, uh, after our devotions, we'll, we'll open up the prayer handbook, and according to the day, we'll go through the missionaries. Now, I'm kind of one of those crazy fathers. I'll quiz you. How many assemblies are in uh, Colombia? Uh, you need a multiple choice answer? Yes, Dad, help us out. Okay. And, and then we'll read through the names of the missionaries. Now, what we try to do is try to connect people with pictures. And so, uh, we'll have, um, I'll have so, so much contact with different missionaries because of their medical needs. But one of the things to have contact is to join the bi-monthly CMML prayer meeting. I think it's on the second and fourth. Is that right? Fourth? Fridays at 9 a.m. East, uh, no, yeah, East Coast time because I'm Central time. And, uh, and there's for men and women, it lasts two hours. You don't have to stay the whole time. In fact, I rarely can stay the whole time. But uh, on that call, there's anywhere I've seen upwards to 70 or 80 people and sometimes as low as 50. And I, I, and I hate to tell everybody this, but I actually have the CMML website pulled up while we're praying so I can match your name with a face. And then I'll email you afterwards and say, hey, I was praying with you, and just tell us how we can better pray for you. Just connecting faces with pictures, and uh, that helps my children pray. And so uh, I invite you to do that. Go on to the cmml.us website and just register, and you'll get an immediate response of, of how to connect up on the second and fourth Fridays of the month. I highly recommend that. It is a tremendous time to pray together. All right, uh, let's move on to what we need to talk about. Um, I'm going to pray one more time and ask the Lord's grace. My Father, as we come to this hour or this few minutes we have left, we would like to ask you to bless us with your expediency, bless us with your um, communicative ability, bless us with your heart, Father. If there's anything that can happen from today, give us that heart transplant where you give us your heart and we give you ours, where we think, act, do, and, and, and uh, uh, live as if you were in us as it truly is, is the case. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. There was um, a very famous missionary that you would know. Her name was Amy Carmichael. Amy Carmichael was uh, a single lady and, and had spent the last, I think it's somewhere around 20 or 30 years, a bit bedfast or, or in, uh, from an injury. And yet her ministry was amazing as she was involved in 
in uh, like an orphanage-like work, but in particular, saving children from world of uh, the world of prostitution and really human trafficking, and um, well before her time, and uh, just a tremendous thing. Lots of sacrifices, lots of um, uh, moments of of, uh, of danger, but uh, that to. To a prospective missionary, it looks as if it's a it's a romantic idea of Christian service. It's sort of one of those things you would dream about in a book or a movie, and 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 you you think, wow, that would be great to be Amy Carmichael, you know, or or uh, T. Ernest Wilson or Hudson Taylor or Adoniram Judson, and all these men and women of the faith that have put their lives out there. And so one day this. Uh, 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 individual wrote Miss Carmichael a letter, and she said, "I want you to tell me what it's like to be a missionary in in India. Tell us all about it. I want to hear uh, the stories and the provisions, and I want to hear what God taught you. Just tell me everything." And and uh, uh, Miss Carmichael wrote back a very short letter, and it said, "Being a missionary is a chance to die." If you notice, that was part of one of the songs we sang, the first one. Thank you for that. A chance to die. Now, as we discussed yesterday, we talked about visiting with the missionary, visiting with uh, uh, Tyrannus Wilson, but we also talked about visiting with Paul. And in our visit, we, we looked at things to ken, rekindle, which is uh, what we discussed last night. And when we did so, we, we talked about uh, his, uh, Timothy's heritage, and, and in particular, how it had a genuine, authentic quality to it. We made certain appeal to that as we think about the missionary mindset. And by the way, as you know, the missionary mindset is not just for the missionary. As Calvin pointed out, the missionary work is from one room to the next, isn't it? It's not necessarily from one country to the next country. It's from one room to the next, one neighbor to the next. And so the unhypocritical, authentic presentation of the Christ-like character is paramount. He highlighted that to Timothy as we chatted with our dear missionary veteran, Paul. And we, we recognized that he had done some or certain equipping and he, and, and what Paul was saying. Now listen, you've gone through some, some struggle, haven't you? You've gone through some trial. I remember your tears and I saw how you were busted up, torn in parts, perhaps as I was arrested in front of you. You've been in prison, haven't you? You've been, you've been starving, haven't you? You have been through some torture, some beatings. You have been there, Timothy. I understand that and what you're tempted to do is you're tempted to just take a step back from engaging the fight and I want you to know Timothy that's not the time this is not the time for that you need to re-inflame re-spark the embers of what God originally gave you through the spirit of God through his person and through his gifting don't let it go dormant. Don't let it go silent, Timothy. This is not the time to shrink back in fear, for that's the exact opposite of what you've been given. What you've been given is the spirit of God, of power, love, and of sound discipline. Timothy, press on. Well, we can almost hear that over the cup of coffee with our dear friend, the Apostle Paul. Can't you just hear that? 
And then, of course, he turns your attention to the Savior. Remember how he came and he abo- how he abolished sin and brought immortality to life. And, and Timothy, it's all about the Savior. So it's not about a code. It's not about a romanticized idea of Christian living. It's about the Savior. And the story is written around the Savior. You must love the King of Kings. You can't love anyone else if you're going to be a missionary. Very moving in that sense. But today, this afternoon, I want to talk about what Paul told Timothy, and there are three models to consider. And they're in the book of 2 Timothy chapter 2, and I'll begin reading in verse 1 for several verses. Let's look at that as we just eavesdrop on the conversation of the veteran missionary Paul with the, how should we say, discouraged Timothy. All right, let's read it together. 2 Timothy chapter 2. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me among many witnesses, commit these to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Verse 3. You therefore must, you therefore must endure hardship as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one, no one, absolutely no one engaged in warfare entangles himself with the affairs of life that he may please him who enlisted him as soldier. And also, if anyone competes in athletics, he is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. The hard-working farmer must be first to partake of the crops. Consider what I say, and may the Lord give you understanding in all things. Remember that Jesus Christ of the seed of David was raised from the dead according to my gospel. We have little time to discuss everything in detail and And the paragraph, the section, the passage begins with being strong in God's grace, not in yourself. There's instructions about uh, uh, what you've heard in a collaborated uh, method where you've heard it amongst many witnesses. It wasn't something dreamed up in the back room. You have validation to what you've heard, Timothy. And I need you, I want you to entrust it to faithful, trustworthy individuals who care about the truth as much as I care about the truth, O Timothy, and as much as you care about the truth. That takes a measure of faith in God who will actually then see that the baton is passed from generation to generation. And that's a very important discussion, isn't it? Because as we talk about CMML and its 100th anniversary and the 70th anniversary of the South Florida Conference here, what we're talking about is passing batons from one generation to the next. And there's a lot of tentacles and and details to that whole process. But make no mistake, it has to occur. We have to, to look at ourselves honestly and say, listen, The baton has to be passed. And think about it this way. If you've ever run a a, a race where they they have the relay race, have you ever done that? Did you know that that they have a 10-yard box 
that you have to pass that baton. It's limited. If you go past that 10 yards, uh, you are disqualified. And the maximum way to efficiently pass the baton is that both runners actually have to get up to full speed, and then at full speed, they then make the exchange. And if you've ever seen this in the Olympics, it's like an art. Both, the, the, the one who's going to take the baton has to start at just the right moment so that by the time the other runner who is at full speed comes down the track, now the recipient is at top speed and they'll yell out, stick! And you'll see a hand go back effortlessly, flawlessly, and suddenly, without looking at each other, the baton is put in the one and the other is receiving the baton. This is where, this is where we're at today, aren't we? This is exactly where we're at. And you have to understand, this transfer of responsibility is a delicate maneuver. It requires precision and it requires great deal of practice. And both of us will be running at the same speed for some period of time, but make no mistake, it will end and you will need to carry the baton. This is what he's telling him. That's a pretty high call, isn't it? That's exactly what we're talking about at this year's 100th anniversary of CMML. But that's only bonus. We really want to turn our attention to the models, don't we? Right? What are the models here? Well, the first one is a good soldier. And I want you to, to read it with me, with me again. It says um, in verse 3, You therefore must endure, you must endure hardship as a good soldier. Now, in my, uh, in my life, I, I had the privilege of being in the same assembly as Bob Schroeder. Do you know Bob Schroeder? Not many people would know Bob Schroeder. Bob Schroeder is the original version of Chris Schroeder. Do you know Chris Schroeder? Yeah. Everybody knows Chris Schroeder. We're actually the same size, height, and build. Our hair color is the same. Chris, if you're listening to this, don't send me any nasty texts, okay? Now, Bob Schroeder is his dad, and he was in our assembly. Now, Bob Schroeder was a very interesting individual. I really appreciated the brother. I I had the honor to preach his funeral. But Bob was um, a veteran of World War II, and he was um, in the Battle of the Bulge, one of the most famous and, and violent battles of all of World War II. I sat down with him one day, and I said, Bob, I'd like you to tell me, What makes a good soldier? And then I had my little pen and my little piece of paper, and for the next hour, I listened. You know, the first thing he said to me, he said, you know, it's possible to be a terrible soldier, Steve. And that's really the distinction. Master Chief, you've served. You know exactly what I'm talking about. That you can actually do your job and do it poorly, right? And yet still be in that position. I know some doctors like that, too. Right, and and this is a big deal. And he says to them, "Now listen, Timothy, you you have to be careful not just to show up. It's not enough just to be counted as a soldier. You must be a good soldier, and you must understand that hardship is part of being a good soldier." And that's what Bob Schroeder told me. 
He said, you know, when you leave you're to go to fight, to engage the enemy, to see active combat, you know, you leave behind many, many things. You leave behind not just the culture that you're in, not just the bed that's warm at night, not just the good food that you have at home, but you leave your children and your wife and your family and you are totally isolated. Everything that you have, you contain on your body. He says, it's hard. But every person that's a soldier, a good soldier, understands it's supposed to be hard. Sometimes I think we forget that, don't we? I think we forget that actually it's not necessarily going to be easy. I forget that way too much. I'm so ashamed of my Christianity in in many ways. I, I have a PhD in whining and complaining. Did you have that one? You don't have to go to school for that. You just have to show up, right? That's what I have. And yet Paul would say, listen, a good soldier is somebody that doesn't have that. They recognize and notice the second thing, that it's active service. A good soldier of Jesus Christ. No one engaged in warfare. That's active duty. That we're looking for the fight, as it were. Now, you might not always engage the enemy, but you're on the alert to look for the fight. What does that mean? You look for the door of the gospel to be open. You look for the moment where you can support. If you can't, as they say, if you can't shoot the bullets, carry the ammunition. That's what CMML is doing, by the way. And I love that about them. And there are times in, in life where you can be directly involved. Maybe it's a, a short-term mission trip that turns into a forever missions trip. Maybe it's a it's a, a, a an assistance to a missionary that's back from the field and they need help for their medical care. Maybe it's just helping them solve their computer problem. It doesn't matter. It's active duty. You're looking for that. Paul prayed for that. Please pray for me, Colossians, that the door of the gospel will be open. That's that's not just for Paul, that's for all of us. So it's active service, but notice what it's not. Entanglement. You know what the word entanglement means? It means to interweave. Uh, There's a couple years, not not too long ago, a year or two ago, we were in Israel. And we were at this place called the Nazareth Village. Have you ever been to the Nazareth Village? Guess where it's located? Nazareth, right? It's not a trick question. It's a Nazareth, right? And, and it's actually run by a bunch of Christians and, and some of the folks that are there in costume go to the Nazareth assembly. I like to take you there. We like to break bread there. You're supposed to go there. Remember this conversation we've had? Yes. All right. Now, what happens is, is that you go into this Nazareth village and they show you how they used to, how they used to, uh, make the, the linen, the garments. And they'd had the loom, you know, with the strings up and down, and how uh, uh, um, uh, the, the lady would would weave that thread in between each fiber, and then crush it down, and then do it again and again and again. And and that is what the idea of interweaving, so that if you try to pull a strand out, it's so intertwined that the friction with the upright fibers won't let it come out. This is what he means. You can't be so involved in these civil affairs of life that when God has that call, you can't disentangle yourself. And listen, we are failing here, aren't we? You see, we, we are so entrenched in what we're doing in the success of the business or the debt that we've accumulated that when it comes a moment to go into active duty, we can't actually disattach. You know, I didn't understand this. It was, um, it's every, it's every 
not every, but most ER doctors' dreams to run their own emergency department. That was, that was uh, the pinnacle. And uh, one day I was asked to run our emergency department. I did it for three years. I was miserable. Do you know why I was miserable? I was so intertwined. It took up every consuming, idle thought that I had. I would wake up at night thinking about the ER. I would go to sleep thinking about the ER. I would dream about the ER. Every time the phone rang, i go, it's the ER, you know. I was a miserable wreck. I was so entwined with that, and I couldn't get out. And I felt like I was just joking to death. And I cried out to God, God, you get off. It's too tight. And he did. He really did. I was so relieved. You see, but that's what we do. We get into our careers and our businesses and the raising of the family. Not a bad thing. They're all good things. But we we will get almost too tight and we can't fulfill the call of God in our lives. The idea is to take your family to fulfill the call, not to leave your family behind. The idea is to let your job be a stepping stone to fulfill the call of God in your life, not to not the other way around. And sometimes we do that with debt load and possessions. You know, the more funny thing about life, the more things you own, the more things you got to make sure doesn't break. And when they do break, then you got to fix them. And guess what? That house becomes one big maintenance project. How do I know? Because I'm a maintenance man and I'm not very good at it. That's how I know. Listen, a good soldier keeps his eye on pleasing his commanding officer. In the Roman military ranks, it wasn't, it was about serving Rome, but the soldier's loyalty was really to their general. Now that's who they were loyal to. And this is the imagery Paul's borrowing from. He says it this way. He says, excuse me, that he may please him who enlisted him. He was the recruiter. That's the Lord Jesus when you came on board. He is your, he is your, uh, the one who trained you in boot camp and he's the one who is your captain and now your, 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 your colonel and now your general. And that's who your loyalty is to. But I'm afraid what's happened, and this is what Paul was telling Timothy in this model that he's giving us, your, your loyalties are shifting now more to your security, now to more of your preservation, now more to holding back. Listen, the kind of life that you have to live is you can't hold anything back. Did you know, beloved, when you signed up to serve the Lord, you intended to die in battle. Did you know that? Every soldier that's an active, they understand that. Many of them write their last will and testament again before they go out into active combat, right? I'm sure you've done it many times. And the reason why they do that is because they face the reality that they may, that may really be their last willing or their last will and testament. And yet we approach our Christianity, our missionary service, whether it be from my door to the neighbor's door or my door to the door across the country or the world as, as, as a hobby. This isn't a hobby. This is where we intend to die. That's what this is about. Now there's a second model that I, I envision Paul uh, talking about and and it, it's really, it's, it's, an, it's a model that encourages uh, endurance. I think the model of the, of the soldier gives us reality. This is what it's going to be. But the model of the athlete is a little different. 
Now, I wasn't a soldier. I uh, have friends and family that were soldiers. My friend Bob Brown, Master Chief, was a soldier. But I was an athlete. I don't know if you're an athlete. I can tell you weren't. No, just kidding. I'm sorry. That was all over the country. I'm so sorry. But I was an athlete. That was my, I was a cross-country runner and track and field person. And, and I took it really seriously. And, uh, uh, and it, it became, I, I, I confess to you, it became my God. But I want, you to, I want you to know something. I never did it because it was fun. Now, I had fun. But, you know, I was out at 5 in the morning running at minus 10 degrees. I remember one day it was minus, it was minus 10. The wind chill was minus 30. And my coach, he was kind of a nut. All coaches are really nuts because they tell the athlete to do crazy things. This is what he said. This is a great day for us, Steve. It will build character. I have enough character. Thank you. You know, that's what, did you hear that? You know, the coach yelling at you like that. And so I went out and ran in that and endured much frostbite and um, many surgeries. But uh, no, uh, I'm just kidding. But the point is, is that the athlete doesn't do it because it's fun. He does it to win. We're out there to win. An athlete is not working to sit out and watch. I didn't do all that training for the coach to say, now I want you to sit out this race, Steve. Oh, no. Oh, no, thanks. Put me in. I'm ready. Did you ever hear that? It's that old thing they used to say in the Vince Lombardi, the famous football coach. Give me the ball, coach. Give me the ball. I want the ball. This is the same idea. The athlete is in this. For the prize. Look at what it says. Let's read it here. If anyone competes in athletics, if anyone, notice, competes, it's for, it's for the, the prize that's there. He is not crowned. He's looking to be crowned. Paul, he takes the same imagery in 1 Corinthians 9, 14. Let me read that to you. It's very telling in this little context. And I, I feel like I am falling behind, so please forgive me. Chapter 9, verse 24, it says this. Do you not know that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? You see what Paul's saying? I'm after to win here. And he says this, run in such a way that you may obtain it. Obtain what? The prize, the crown. And he says, now everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we an imperishable crown. You know what he's saying? Listen, the athlete is out there. For a purpose. He's out there. He's enduring because there is something at the end that he's after. And listen, saints, so are we. There is something that we're after. And I'll tell you what it, it's, it sounds like. It sounds like this. You did a great job, my faithful servant. I'm so pleased. That's essentially what he said to Daniel. Do you remember when Daniel began to pray and when he read Jeremiah's prophecy about the 70 years? And as he began to pray, we have a whole chapter of actual confession of Israel, national Israel sins, the national sins of Israel. And as he comes to the end of that, then the angel comes and visits Daniel. And you know what he says? You are a beloved man. How do you become beloved? Well, first of all, God does that. But secondly, God appreciates this kind of faithfulness, this kind of athletic, um, athlete-like tenacity. 
This is what we need to have. This is what we need to do. Now, you can see that an athlete uh, in the uh, imagery of that day, ha- uh, when we talked about the games, the Olympic games or the Asiarch games that were done and in, in usually in Ephesus, what it was was that they had to, to be born a Roman citizen. You can be naturalized. You know, that's very similar to us. You have to be born again to be able to compete in this missionary race, right? You have to have, in that day, you had to swear before the God of Zeus that you had at least 10 months of preparation. And so it is with you and I. We want to be equipped and be equipping so that you are prepared for the work. Do you see the connection? And then that day, on game day, you had to compete according to the rules. You couldn't cut the corners on the race. You couldn't compete. Uh, uh, um, uh, Compete with with uh, weighted or um, uh, weighted uh, um, uh, devices to to injure and maim the other person. You had to compete with your bare hands in Greco-Roman wrestling. You see, this is what he's saying. Now take that, and he says, "Now Timothy, do you get it? You're born again. You're prepared. Follow the rules, son." So yeah, there will be sleepless nights and there will be wounds that you receive from other well-intentioned other shepherds and people of God. And there will be wounds from the, the people that you want to give the gospel to and they'll turn on you and they'll, they'll turn and run or they'll turn and spit at you. But listen, Timothy, that's part of the fight. And by the way, there's just going to be troubles. The government won't give you the visa. You're going to have troubles in, in other areas. You might feel like you're short of money, but you know, I am a great banker, Timothy. You should... You can trust God. That's what God says. He's a great banker. I'm a great, he's a great economist. So Timothy, you, you've got to understand that it takes endurance. I remember those nights. One day I was doing a 10-mile road run, and the roads were snowy. And I, I remember I called my father. My father passed away last July. I called my father up, and I said, Dad, I'm at the high school and I need to run 10 miles, but it is snowing blizzards out there, and I just can't do it. Could you just come and sit in the car and read your paper while I run around the school 10 times? <laughs> there wasn't even a hesitation. I'll be right there. And he came up in this little awful green-looking truck. We're the only people in St. Louis County that owned a truck like that. I was never more thankful for that color in my life because it's the only color I could see in the blizzard. And every time I looped around, there was my dad, and he'd wave at me, and all he did was sit there. It took took a good hour and a half to do that run. I'll tell you something. That was that taught me the necessity of enduring and how important it is for those who come alongside and to give you that extra oomph. And let me tell you, that's exactly what we need to be. If you can't be on the front lines, then be that encourager. Be that communicator. Be that one that hears the stories. An athlete must endure. But there's one final model that we must consider And it's the farmer. Now, my dad was a farmer. He was, uh, he raised dairy cattle and he grew crops. And I interviewed him for this verse. I said, Dad, tell me about being a farmer. And he said to me, (laughs) kind of like Mr. Schroeder, didn't even hesitate. He said, Oh, it's a hard life. You're married to the animals and you're married to the ground or to the weather. You're married to the weather. I go, that's a tough marriage. Oh, you have no idea. 
the farmer. The farmer expects a return, but in order for the farmer to get the bunker crop, he's going to have to work hard. That's the concept. The farmer, as it reads, hardworking farmer must be first uh, must be first to partake of the crops. So it's it, that that kind of work is a hands-on work. I remember my father telling me, you know, we had to learn to 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 fix anything on the farm. We just couldn't take it in. We we were too poor. We had to learn to be a a, a mechanic, and then we had to learn how to how to uh, work with with uh, uh, the agricultural aspects of feeding the animals, and then we had to understand the weather patterns. And so we became meteorologists, and and the, and he listed like ten different special disciplines of study so that he could just be successful at a bunker crop. You know, that's what you do. Sometimes in the Christian world of service, you take on a lot of hats that you never dreamed could actually fit your head. But they're supposed to. That's that's part of it. I remember doing that in our early years. Um, you had to be versatile. You had to develop these multiple skill sets. And of course, it was wearisome. It, it, it's it, you can't quit until the job is done. If if the rain is coming tomorrow, then you got to work all night if that's what it takes to bring in the harvest. That's what you have to do. And this is part of the concept of what it is as a missionary. Sometimes the, the, the souls are, 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 are the, how do we say this? The fish are biting and the souls are hungry. And that's the moment. And you're, and, and, and to invest in that hard work, lack of sleep idea. It's, yes, it is wearisome. And there's a couple of other imagery, Im, 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 images involved. Flexibility. And this one, I mean that you're, it's not a nine to five job. It's not a nine to five job. You know, that's what shepherding is. It's not a nine to five. It's a 24-7 job, isn't it? That's the life of the missionary. It's frustrating. You do all that work and you get the, the seed into the ground. The rains come and they rot the seed in the ground because it flooded the area. It's frustrating, isn't it? It's an eye for opportunity. You put up the hay while the sun is shining. There's an opportunity. Let's go. Now, one of the brothers that I, he's here that I really appreciate was Bob. He, I was down in Slidell and, and he said to me after meet, after the meeting, I had finished preaching, gave the young preacher a chance. And so I was finished preaching and he goes, Hey, Steve, do you like Wendy's? Not particularly. We always go to Wendy's after meeting. I said, why Wendy's? Now, if you know anything about my friend, he goes, he gets that little twinkle in his eye. You think it's a twitch, but it's actually a twinkle. And he goes, fish and hole. It's only two words. He said, fish and hole. I go, fish and hole. I didn't think they served fish. You know, he rolls his eyes. We go to Wendy's. All right, the whole chapel is there. And guess what? In that hour that we were there, at least five saints were witnessing to every single late night shift person on that Wendy's. Do you remember that? I remember that. Right? Opportunity! This is what the farmer looks for. And of course, he's expecting the Lord of the harvest to bless richly. You know, when we look at these models, these models are intended to give instruction from a seasoned veteran missionary to the missionary that's receiving the baton. And in so doing, he says, I want you to remember a couple things. You must take the baton. Number two, you must be a soldier, a good soldier. And it's going to have some hardship in it, and that's part of the deal. 
But I want you to understand that as that soldier, you, you go after pleasing your commander. Disentangle yourself if necessary. The third thing I want you to remember is this idea of being the athlete, that you must endure. You must endure. And lastly, as the farmer, I want you to know that you can expect the Lord to bring a bunker, bunker crop. You can, as it were, be first to partake in the harvest. That's appropriate. So press on, Timothy. Press on. This is not the time for retreat. This is the time to rekindle. This is the time for you to engage the fight. Father, we want to commend this segment to you. We want to thank you that you were so tenacious for our souls. Father, there are many of us here with testimonies of how you wouldn't give up and you wouldn't give up and you, you would continue to bring conviction of sin, righteousness, and judgment. You were the consummate missionary, the consummate missionary who, who left their, their throne, their country of heaven, as it were, and entered another realm where dimensions of space and time were our rule of thumb. And you took on the form of, of a bondservant and, and, and came fashioned like a man just to win man. You are the consummate missionary. You're the consummate role model, the athlete, the good soldier, the athlete, the farmer. You've lived it all through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Oh, God Almighty, put your heart in us that we would do the same. This we pray in Jesus' name.